Well, good morning. Let's, uh, let's pray, would you? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, wow, for the truth of the words we just heard. Thank you so much for the truth of the songs that we have just sung. Struck by that bridge, I guess it was, Lord, where the songwriter says, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that you love us. And God, I, I know that for me, I can get weighed down with regrets. I can beat myself up for missed opportunities. But that's where the enemy wants to keep me. Instead, God, I, I want to focus on the, the truth that we also saying that you are calling us to the cross. God, help me and help my brothers and sisters here not to be stuck dwelling on where we've missed opportunities, but God, help us to right now respond to your great love by loving one another. What an incredible gift that is, and I just thank you for each of my brothers and sisters in this, this family funny as we were singing this morning just how much I realized I needed to see my brothers and sisters today. I didn't even know it. I didn't know that I, that I needed to, to have that hug or receive that handshake or that smile from a, from a brother or sister. But we do. We, we need each other and God, I'm so thankful that you have put me in this family. Pray your blessing on each of us. Also pray, God, that you would open our hearts right now to hear from your word. We know your word doesn't return void, and we believe that you want to speak to us, and you want to help us grow closer to you, and as we'll see in your word this morning, to grow closer to each other. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Yeah, crazy. I don't know. It's so weird, you know, just this is what I do on Sunday mornings. I get up, I get ready, I drive to Fayette Baptist Church, I go into my office, I get ready, I come out here, I say hi to people. And that sort of happens really every Sunday. And then for some reason, as I was making my way around, talking to some of you this morning and shaking a few hands and saying hello I was just overwhelmed that, like, I needed to see you today, you know, that God was ministering to my soul just from those smiles, and I felt that. I was like, ah, oh, these, these people really love me, and uh, I don't know why, um, <laughs> but they do, and, 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 and I love them, and um, kind of fitting, I guess, that God would take me there, just knowing what we're looking at in this text this morning. But again, he just sort of caught me by surprise in that time this morning. Well, a few weeks ago, in, in our continuing study through the book of 1 John, we, we celebrated an amazing truth. We celebrated a, a truth that should fill us with joy, right? And that is that we are children of God, right? And uh, we talked about 
uh, you know, putting that title at the end of our names even. And I was pretty excited to see that so many of you actually started doing that uh, over the last couple of weeks. I've seen some of you signing, you know, either on your social media, you know, platforms or even talking to one another. I've heard you call yourself a child of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John said, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. He says that's a loving act, like an incredible display of love. And he doesn't just call us children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, And so we are. We're not just called children of God. We really are children of God. What an amazing truth. But here's the thing. Okay, if, if I'm a child of God, and, and, and you, Bob, are a child of God, and Bethany, you're a child of God, right? And Bob, you're a child of God, and Doug, you're a child of God, and Kathy, you're a child of God. That means that, that, that you and I are family, right? And some of you are like, man, I was really excited about being a child of God. That was an amazing truth. I'll sign that at the end of my name, child of God. Brother or sister of Chris? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm quite as excited to put that at the, at the end of my name. <laughs> some, of, some of us are easier to love than others, you know? And I imagine that most of you are probably familiar. You've probably heard the saying that says something like this. You can pick your friends. I was waiting. Not doing the nose one. You were waiting for it, though. You were all thinking that one. There's one that precedes that, I believe. It's you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your your family. And some of you are like, don't I know it? You know, that's why I moved thousands of miles away um, from, from them. But have you ever thought about the fact that the same is true in your spiritual family? We don't get to decide who our brothers and sisters in Christ are, do we? See, like it or not, we are family. If you're a child of God and I'm a child of God, that means that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus has commanded you not to like me. He says you have to love me, you know? You have to love me and I have to love you. All right, that's it. Let's go home. This is, that's too much. There's so much to deal with. I don't even know if we can, if we can do it, right? Well, this morning, as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 John, John is going to be emphasizing the importance of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. John wants the reader to understand that true believers, true believers are characterized as people who love one another. So let's go ahead and we'll pick up our study in chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. Chapter 3 of 1 John, beginning in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John says that this message is one that they have already heard. He's simply reminding them of the truth that they have been taught 
from the time that they first started following Jesus. And I think this is actually a, a pretty important point because when we gather to study God's word, right? When we sit under the teaching of a pastor or we sit under the teaching of a small group leader, we need to remember, we need to remember that their job is not to come up with some clever, new, attractive bells and whistles teaching, right? That's not their job. In fact, that's exactly what the false teachers were doing at the time that John wrote this letter. They're like, well, you kind of heard this, but let me tell you what the case really is. You've heard this about Jesus? Let me tell you the real truth about Jesus. And they started teaching something new. No, our job, our job is to teach others what God has already spoken to us through his word. That's our job. What does God's word say? In fact, that's actually what Jesus said in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, you remember? Teach them to observe everything you want to teach them. No, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. We just need to teach others what God has already said, you know, in his word. By the way, if you weren't here last week, Pastor Henry uh, did a great job on uh, a message on the resurrected life. And uh, by the way, another great title for you. You're not just a child of God. You are an ambassador of Christ. Uh, That is a great title. Uh, And um, I think we should make shirts that have all of our titles, right? Child of God, ambassador of Christ, you know, child of the promise we talked about in our small group this week. So many great uh, titles that God has given us. Well, John says that this message is one that they have already heard from the beginning. See, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So John is not promoting something new. He's just reminding them of what Jesus had already taught. And now, beginning in verse 12, John is going to help us to understand what love for others actually looks like. And the way that he's going to do this is by giving us some examples. We all like examples, right? You know, give me an example. I was a math teacher. Let me teach you how to do, find a derivative. It's like, well, give me an example of why I would ever need to find the derivative, right? So we like examples. And so John is going to give us a couple of examples here. And the first one he's going to give us is actually a negative example. He's going to sort of show us what not to do, what love does not look like. Let's look at verse 12. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. John takes us all the way back to the first book of the Bible, and he says, you don't want to be like Cain. Actually, he says, don't be like Cain. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with the story, Cain and his brother Abel were both sons of Adam and Eve. These are the first two humans that that God created. And according to Genesis chapter 4, both Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn me to Genesis chapter 4. The words are not going to be up on the screen. Um, Some of you probably have it memorized, so that's great. I don't. Genesis chapter 4, 
And I'm going to begin in verse 3. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Cain, by the way, he, he worked the fields. That's what he did. So he brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought an, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Uh, in, the, in the previous verses, we're told that Abel uh, worked with the sheep. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. <clears throat> Let me just stop there for, for, for a second. I want you to see something in this passage, and that is that both Cain and Abel, they both brought an offering to the Lord, right? They both brought an offering from, from where they worked, one in the fields, one with the sheep. They both brought an offering. And from the outside appearance, it, it looks like they are both worshiping God. But here's the thing about appearances, right? The Bible teaches us that God looks at our hearts, doesn't he? And the Bible says here that God was not pleased with Cain's offering. Well, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 4, we're told that by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So according to the writer of Hebrews, the, the difference between Abel's offering and Cain's offering was an issue of, of, or a matter of faith. Abel made an offering by faith, while Cain, he was just kind of going through the motions, you know, completing his worship checklist, you know? Went to church, check. Put some money in the offering, check. Sang some songs, check. Volunteered in the, you know, in the food pantry, check, right? Check, 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 check. But the problem with all of these acts of worship is that we can do all of those things without faith, can't we? You can go to church without faith. You can sing a song without faith. You can put money in an offering plate without faith. You can serve in your community and in the, in the food pantry without faith. Listen carefully. All true worshipers bring an offering to the Lord. But not all who bring an offering to the Lord are true worshipers. All true worshipers bring an offering to the Lord, but not all who bring an offering to the Lord are true worship. Uh, worshipers. Why? Because worship is a matter of the heart, isn't it? You see, whether it's our time, whether it's our talents, whether it's our treasures, true worshipers bring their offerings as an act of faith, laying them down in worship before the Lord. As my friend, one of our elders, Pastor Dan Coffin, likes to say, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart, and God always knows our hearts, doesn't he? We, we, we can fool each other, right? But we never fool God. God knows whether this is an act of worship or not. He knew Cain's heart, and he was not pleased with Cain's offering. And this, we're told, made Cain not just angry, very angry. And so in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, listen to this. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God sees the anger that's in Cain's heart. And what does God do? He encourages Cain to just do what's right. If you do what's right, you'll be accepted, right? But he also warns him not to allow this sin to consume him. God sees the rage that is building up inside of Cain's heart. And he says, Cain, Cain, you got to get a grip, man. Sin is crouching at the door. It's, it's, it's waiting to pounce right now. You must rule over it. But instead of listening, Cain gave himself over to hatred and jealousy. And in verse 8, we're told that Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. In the uh, passage here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, the word that he uses for murder actually means like he slaughtered him. It wasn't just like he got in a fist fight and he accidentally went too far. Cain slaughtered his brother. Almost as, almost as if, almost as if like, God, okay, God, you didn't like my sacrifice? Let me give you a sacrifice. How about your precious son, Abel? I'll sacrifice something. Why did he kill him? John, 12, uh, John tells us in verse 12, because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain saw the righteousness of his brother. He saw someone who was trying to live for the Lord, trying to honor God, and he was filled with hatred towards Abel. And so in verse 12, John says to these believers, he says, don't, don't be like Cain. Don't be like him. Don't allow sin to get a foothold in your heart. Don't allow room for hatred towards your brothers and sisters. You see, Cain's sin, Cain's sin began where? It began in his heart. And his failure to deal with that drove him down a path of jealousy, anger, hate, and rage. And ultimately, it ended in murder. Brothers and sisters, we cannot ignore the sins of the heart because the sins of the heart never stay there. They never stay there. They always work their way out into our lives. And the consequences of those sins can be devastating as they were with Cain and Abel. So instead of giving Satan uh, you know, a foothold in our hearts, we must, instead, we must repent when we encounter feelings of jealousy and hatred towards our brothers and sisters. Instead of giving in to sin, we should ask God for strength to love them and to see them the way that he sees them. Jealousy and envy and, and hatred towards others have no place they have no place whatsoever in the heart of God's children. Which is why John says that Cain was not God's child. He says he was of the evil one. This is heavy stuff, isn't it? 
You're like, wow, so glad I went to get encouraged today at Fayette Baptist Church. <laughs> we don't like to admit that there was a need for John to write this, right? Who is he writing to? Believers. Why does he have to remind believers not to hate each other? Because believers sometimes hate each other, right? It doesn't start as hate. It starts as envy and jealousy and these things unchecked. We don't deal with them. And where does it lead? It leads to hate. Well, in verse 13, John continues and he says this. He says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. You see, true believers should not be surprised when they're hated by the world. Just as Cain hated his brother Abel because of Abel's righteousness, John says that the world is gonna hate true believers because of their righteousness. And Jesus said the same thing, right? In John chapter 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says, man, don't be surprised when this happens. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Followers of Jesus who are practicing righteousness are going to irritate. You're going to be an irritant to those who are in the world, right? They're going to hate you. But what we should not expect we should not expect is to be on the receiving end of hatred from other professing believers. We should not expect that. It should shock us, right? And it should shock us even more when somebody else is on the receiving end of our hatred. That should surprise us. Because as John says in verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death and into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love, what? Abides in death. John says that, that, that one of the ways that we know that we are actually true followers of Jesus is by the love we have for his children. It's a proof. It's a proof that you have passed from death into life, proof that you have been born again, proof that you are a child of God. And, and here's the cool thing, that as we grow closer to God, our love for God's children also continues to grow. Now, I got to tell you, I, I don't exactly understand how it all happened, but I, I remember at, at age 16 when I first came to Christ, like legit, I, I think you've heard my story. I grew up, I was five, I, grew, I you know, prayed to receive Christ, but then I lived my life like every other person I know. And then at age 16 is when I really gave my life to the Lord. And all I can tell you is, I don't know how he did it, but immediately I seemed to really care about other believers. That's why I was 16 years old and I was like, I need to start a Bible study in my school. You know, I cared about the truth and I cared about loving others. And that is something that God has continued to develop in my heart. And it doesn't mean that Christians don't irritate me. Like, they do, right? They totally do. And like, I can disagree with other believers, and I do, but I still love them. I still love them. And it's something that he grows in us as we walk with, as we walk with him. That's why I'm always puzzled, by the way, when we hear somebody say that they love God, and oh, I love God, and I love Jesus. I just don't like Christians. 
you know? I don't love them. Oh, I love Jesus. I love God, but I don't want anything to do with his church. John says that's not possible. You can't hate God's children and love God at the same time. He says that whoever does not love abides in death. Whew. And by the way, these aren't my, these aren't my words. It's like if I was going to get up and, and do a message today, like this isn't what I would choose. You know, I wouldn't say, hey, you know what I really want to do today? I want to like get in everybody's face, you know? <laughs> this is John. So if you don't like it, if it's rubbing you kind of wrong, just when you get to heaven, you can take it up with the apostle John, you know? Just don't, don't beat the messenger. But in chapter 2, verse 9, he said something very similar. He said, whoever says that he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So you can say you're in the light all you want, but if you hate your brother, John says, that's, that's not true. You're still in darkness. According to John, we cannot hate God's children and at the same time be walking in the light. It's not possible. John says that we're still you know, abiding in death. And more than that, more than just like, oh, you're still abiding death, John says that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. <laughs> wow. All right, let's look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. See, I didn't make it up. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let me just say something really quick. Does that mean that if you've murdered somebody that you can't be saved? Of course not. And the Bible is full, well, I wouldn't say full, but there's plenty of examples in the scriptures of people who were either murderers or involved in the act of murder, and, and I believe we're going to see them in heaven. Moses, right? He was a murderer. David was involved in murder. Paul from the New Testament was involved with murder. I think we're going to see them in heaven. So he's not saying that you can't be saved, but I tell you, if you're living with murder in your heart, if that is where you are at, you have no reason to have confidence that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you can't be forgiven. Doesn't mean you can't become a follower of Christ. But if you are living with murder and hatred in your heart, John is saying you need to examine your heart. You need to get right with God because no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, you might be thinking, well, hold on a second. This is crazy, John. I might hate the guy. I might hate the guy, but I'm not going to murder him, right? Tell me you haven't thought that before. Like, I, I really dislike that person. I hate him. I wouldn't murder him. I wouldn't murder him. What is John talking about? Well, this comes from Jesus' teaching, actually, in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, well, you've heard that it was said of the, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But as Jesus always did, he ratchets it up, right? He said, well, let me tell you something. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whew. So now it's just, just murder, it's anger? Wow. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoa. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What? Do you know how many times I've called Pastor Henry a fool? <laughs> Just kidding. Man, I'm in trouble, you know? Jesus is drawing their attention to something that's really important here, something that John is now reminding these readers of, that hatred for others is the underlying sin that leads to what? 
to murder. And while a person may not actually commit the act of literal murder, if they are carrying hatred in their hearts towards someone else, they have already committed murder in their heart. And I think this is, you know, as I was thinking about this, at least in my experience, it's like, when I've, when I've struggled with hatred towards somebody, it's like, I wish that they didn't exist. You know? If I never saw them again, I'd be okay with that. And when you're feeling those feelings, God's saying, you've got murder in your heart. That's serious business. And, and even if we, well, I wouldn't wish that they wouldn't exist, but I certainly treat them like they don't exist, right? We don't even look at them. We look at I can't even stand to see that person, right? You've already murdered them in your heart. You know, hatred can be expressed in a lot of different ways, can it? John says, everybody who hates his brother is a murderer. Hatred for others has no place in the heart of God's children. Brothers and sisters, we cannot, cannot be carrying anger, envy, Jealousy and hatred in our hearts and simultaneously be walking in the light. And this doesn't mean, by the way, that we're not gonna struggle with these things. I think you've heard it by now. I've confessed that I struggle with these things too. It doesn't mean that there aren't gonna be times that, that we feel those emotions in us towards somebody and what do we need to do? We need to, at that point, confess these things to God, right? Right? But let's be honest, it's going to happen. Why? Because people hurt us, don't they? People hurt us. And I know that some of you have been deeply wounded by other Christians. I know that. And that pain is, it's real, right? And I think sometimes we feel justified in, in feeling anger towards them and envy or jealousy or, you know, why would God continue to bless them? They're such a jerk, right? Tell me you haven't thought that about some other believer, right? It's real. But listen, the answer to our pain is not found in anger, jealousy, envy, or hatred. The answer to our pain is found in forgiveness. The answer is found in drawing closer to Christ and asking him to provide us with the strength and, 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 and the ability to love others the way that he loves them. And it doesn't mean that you, know, you have to forget what they've done. That's not what forgiveness is. Oh, I totally forgot that they did that to me. No, it doesn't mean that you have to put yourself even in a position where they can hurt you again. That's not necessarily what it means. But it does mean that you refuse, you refuse to be driven towards hate and you choose to be led towards love. We need to choose to follow Christ's lead towards love because I promise you that hatred only leads to greater bondage. Do you know that? I think if you're carrying hatred in your heart, you do know that, because you don't feel free, do you, when you're in a place where you hate others? Freedom is found in love. 
Wow, I am so glad we got through Cain. Wow. Now that John has given us the negative example, oh, thank you, Lord. He's shown us what love doesn't look like. In verse 16, John is now going to give us the ultimate example of what love for others does look like. Let's look at verse 16. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What an amazing uh, contrast that John is drawing here between Cain and Jesus, right? Could there be a bigger contrast, right? Cain's heart was filled with hate, which drove him to murder his brother. Jesus' heart was filled with love, which led him to lay down his life for others. (laughs) They, They couldn't be further apart, right? We must refuse to be driven towards hate. We must choose to be led towards love. We need to choose to follow Christ's lead towards love. And by the way, I think those are, I I chose those words driven and led on purpose because a shepherd leads, doesn't he? A shepherd leads the sheep. Jesus leads us towards love. Satan is a taskmaster who drives us towards hate. You know what I mean? We want to be led towards love, not driven towards hate. So John tells these believers not to follow the ways of Cain, but instead to follow the example of Christ. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then in verse 13, he says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you and I know that that's exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? He willingly laid down his life for us. And in verse 16, John says that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's what Jesus is calling us to as his children. He's calling us to love others the way he loved. And the way he loved is he was going, willing to go all the way to the point of death to demonstrate his love for us. So here's a question. Would you be willing to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ? (laughs) I didn't hear a lot of people shouting out, yes, I would. (laughs) You might be thinking, that's kind of extreme, Chris. Kind of extreme. And yes, it is the extreme, isn't it? It's the ultimate extreme. But it is an extreme that both John and Jesus believe that we should be willing to go to. And maybe you're not there, right? I'm not sure that I'm there. Like, I might, yeah, I'd probably do it for my wife. Like my boys, I'd probably die for them. And Oh, Henry, I like you too. I'd probably die for you. <laughs> but... But like, wow, to be willing to die for someone else, that's, that's extreme. And I really hope, I really do hope that none of us are ever called to, to, to pay that ultimate price, right, for someone else. But I can tell you with confidence that there are a whole lot of other practical ways that God is going to call you and me to lay down our lives for others. You may never be called to literally die for someone else, 
But I am telling you that every day God is calling you to die to yourself for others. Every single day. You see, between these two extremes, you've got Cain who murdered his brother and Jesus who literally laid down his life for others. There is a whole lot of room for us to learn how to practice laying down our lives, loving and serving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so John gives us a really practical example in verses 17 and 18. He says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's like a rhetorical question, right? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John basically says here, talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. You can say you love one another all you want, but true love is demonstrated by our actions, isn't it? If we have the ability to help a brother or sister in need, whether that's through the giving of our, of our resources or through the giving of our, our time, maybe you just need to sit down and spend time with a brother who's in need, listening to them. Sit down with a sister who's, who's, who's really just had a horrible you know, go of it lately, right? You gotta be there for them. Whatever the way he's calling you to, to, to meet that need, the expectation of Jesus is that we will meet that need if we are able to do so. And John says that if we close our heart against a brother or sister in need, we have reason to question whether or not God's love is in us at all. And I think that the wording there is pretty strong. The idea to close your heart. It's not like, oh, I didn't know. No, this person is literally saying, I'm aware of the need. I know I can help, but I refuse. I'm closing my heart. I will not help. That's another sign of hatred, isn't it? It's another form of hatred. Because God's love moves us towards compassion. And if you're not moved towards compassion towards your brothers and sisters, John says, I'm not sure that God's love is even in you. God's love leads us to serve our brothers and our sisters. I gotta tell you though, it's so funny because I'm like sitting here, I keep thinking it over and over as I'm making my way through this text. I'm like, John, why did you do this? Why did you write such a hard, hard message here? Because I have to deliver this to you because we're going verse by verse and I don't get to skip over these sections, right? And, and I'm looking at you, I'm like, no, you don't understand. I, I, I think you really are loving. I really do. I do. You're like, man, Chris, things were awful. You know. I have to tell you that one of the things that I love most about this church is the way that you love one another. It's true. You are a loving church family. And I, I've seen it over and over and over again. So many things that you've never seen, we see from the office. We see the way that, that you all uh, move in love towards one another. When there, is a, when there is an expressed or a known need in this church, people rally. It happens. I've seen it so many times. My family has experienced it firsthand. You are a loving loving church. That's what I see. That's what I see. But we talked about that earlier, didn't we? I can't see your individual hearts, can I? I can't see what's going on inside your heart. Maybe you dropped off a meal at my house 
And the whole time you're like, stupid allergies that Chris has. I can't even believe it. And I don't even, I don't even have time to make him a meal. I don't like, why doesn't he just make it himself? You know? <laughs> and then I come to the door and you're like, hey. <laughs> I'm projecting onto you what I actually do when I bring you a meal. So, <laughs> so I hate cooking. Why am I cooking? I don't even like to cook for myself. Why am I cooking for somebody else? Right? No. I can't see your hearts. I don't know what's going on in there. And so I guess the only challenge that I can give is for each of us, right, each of us individually to ask God to examine our hearts and just show us, God, am I in some way closing my heart towards the needs of a brother or sister? Is there a need that you know you've made me aware of, God, and I have not been responding? I guess the only thing I can do is just say that we each need to examine our hearts and ask God to teach us how to love others the way that he does, you know? As a body, you're doing great. But I can't say that all of you are doing great individually. I have no idea. Only God and you can answer that question. Well, finally, as we near the end of the chapter, John is going to describe a couple of the benefits of loving our brothers and sisters. In verses 19 and 20, he says this, by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So the first benefit that John describes for loving our brothers and sisters is the confidence that we are true believers. You gotta remember that this whole letter, this whole letter, right, He's writing to provide them with assurance that they are truly uh, believers. They're true Christians. That They really do have a relationship with Jesus and they really will have eternal life, right? That's the whole point of the letter. And so he says that, that our love for others gives us confidence that we are indeed true believers, true followers of Jesus Christ. And John says, by this, by our love and care for one another, we will know that we are of the truth, Right? will know that we are true believers. And he says that that knowledge will reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. I gotta tell you, that is a verse that I have come back to over and over again in my own life. You know, there are times in our lives there are times in our lives when our hearts do condemn us, right? And sometimes, rightfully so, right? Like sometimes there are times when we, when we fail to practice righteousness and our heart is convicted and we're like, yeah, I'm feeling condemned by my heart. Yeah, I deserve that. I haven't been practicing righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for convicting me. And sometimes we fail to love our brothers and sisters, right? And so the Lord convicts us and in our hearts, we're feeling condemned. We're like, yeah, well, you know, you probably do need to repent and get right with the Lord. But sometimes, sometimes, even after we have confessed our sins, sometimes, you know, even when we are practicing righteousness, even when we are loving our brothers, for some reason, we are plagued with, with these condemning thoughts and attitudes in our hearts, right? You, you felt this. You, you know what I'm talking about, where you're just like, ah, I'm not even sure if I'm a believer. Does God really love me? Do I, am I really his? You, you wrestle with all of these thoughts. And for some of us, maybe it's, just because, maybe it's just because 
we have a, a, a temptation to be maybe more prone to worry and anxiety, right? For some of us, that might be the case. And for others, maybe it's that we're under spiritual attack. You believe in that stuff? I do. <laughs> I do. I can tell you that like, in Bible college, I was told by, uh, by one of my professors that when you decide, you're like, I, I'm going to devote myself to full-time ministry, he's like, you might as well just go get a bucket of paint and put a bullseye on your back. Like, here I am, Satan, come after me, right? And I, I, I'm, I'll be honest, you know, since February 1st, I have never felt as much spiritual attack in my life as I have over the last three months. Like, it's real. It's real. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to my wife and I said, we are under spiritual attack right now. I feel it. It's heavy. We're under attack. And in those moments, and you start beating yourself up and you're feeling all this condemnation in your heart, uh, this is a great verse to be able to go back to and say, God is greater than my heart. God is greater than my heart. He knows my heart, right? He knows everything. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows that I'm his. I, I think of Jesus and Peter on, on the beach that we looked at a couple of weeks ago on Easter, right? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, God, Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus says, yes, I do. <laughs> I do, Peter. When our hearts and our feelings get in the way, we need we must cling to the truth of God's word. God is greater than our heart. God's word has always and will always trump our feelings. Amen? Don't let your feelings drive the bus, right? Trust what God's word says. And so the first benefit of loving our brothers and sisters is the confidence that we have that we are true believers. The second benefit of loving our brothers and sisters is the confidence that God hears and he answers our prayers. Look at verse 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. John says, if our, if our hearts don't condemn us, in other words, if, if we have a clear conscience before God that we are practicing righteousness and we're loving our brothers, we can have confidence in God's presence and we can pray with confidence, knowing that he hears and he answers our prayers. In John 15, verse seven, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We can have confidence that God hears and answers our prayers because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. What are his commandments? What pleases God? Well, that's verse 23. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. What's God's command? Believe in Jesus and love one another. That sounds a whole lot like the great commandments, doesn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. God wants us to love Jesus and love others. This is his commandment. And according to verse 24, whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. If you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, in other words, if you have put your faith in him for your salvation, if you're trusting him for the forgiveness of your sins and you love one another, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, John says you can have confidence that you are truly saved. 
You are abiding in God, and God is abiding in you. And he's given us his Holy Spirit. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the uh, world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is living in you. As Paul wrote in Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen? What an amazing truth. I'll close with these two verses. I'll close with these two verses. First one's familiar. You know it really well. John 3, 16. God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? John 3, 16, that's a great one. First John 3, 16 is a great one to, to know right after it. Memorize those together. First John 3, 16, by this we know love. He gave his only son. Oh, sorry, that he laid down his life for us. I told you, memorize it. <laughs> that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The love of Jesus led him to a cross, right? Where he willingly laid down his life in our place so that we might have eternal life. And as his followers, Jesus is calling us to lay down our lives for one another. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow, your word is good. It's convicting. And God, I thank you for it. I thank you that you don't leave us the way you found us when we first chose to follow you. That you are intent on sanctifying us and making us more and more like your son, Jesus. That you're not content to leave us in a place where we move with envy and jealousy and hate towards others, but you desire to make us holy. And you want us to live and move and love the way that you loved. And so, God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for John's obedience to write these things down. And God, I pray that we would be challenged by them. But more than challenged, I pray that we'd be changed. And so, God, go with us this week. Help us to, to, to live out the truth of these words as we move in love towards one another. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.